Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, Being released, this episode is being released on November 15th, 2022, which means it's uh, coming out four days before the start of Arkansas duck season. It seemed an appropriate time to have one Luke Naylor uh, as the guest on the podcast, uh, Luke, for a long, long time, like 16 years, I believe, he was in charge of the uh, the waterfowl program in Arkansas, working for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And about four months ago, he was promoted to the very important position of uh, being in head of the wildlife division, which means that he's one of the big kahunas over at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and honestly, you know, this is the first time I met Luke, but seems very well suited towards the task. Obviously, uh, is very invested in wildlife in the natural state. And man, we have a we have a pretty wide ranging conversation talking about a few things, like not a few things. I would say almost everything involving waterfowl, specifically in Arkansas, is going to be controversial uh, to somebody. Like it's just it's just a pursuit that people have very strongly held beliefs about. I've talked about this a little bit before when I did like very waterfowl centric podcasts, but you know, we talk about some of the real life experiences of waterfowling. I mean, ultimately it's, it has been a transformative experience for me learning to hunt ducks and geese in Arkansas, you know, primarily in Arkansas. I've hunted ducks a few other places, but 98% of it has been in, in Arkansas. It's like something that changed the, the tenor of my life and the direction of my life. But we kind of started talking about some of the things that are challenging uh, when it comes to waterfowling. And, you know, I, hopefully it doesn't come off as a, like a gripe fest, but I think it's a really important conversation to have because especially when you're dealing with waterfowl, something that by its, its, its very nature is here one day and gone the next day. That's something that moves across such vast stretches. Managing that as, as a natural resource requires flexibility and malleability, being willing to change with the times and with the best information that you have at the time, you know, in the hopes of ultimately, like, I want to be able to hunt ducks and geese, you know, for the rest of my life, hopefully, and I want my kids to be able to do it and their kids. But more than that, I want there to be healthy numbers of ducks and geese that then ultimately I want to be able to hunt. So uh, I think always keeping the animals and the the resource at the forefront of our motivations for our management strategies, however that presents itself, is obviously best case scenario. So uh, instead of rambling on any longer, I will just uh, encourage you to listen to and hopefully Uh, get the most out of 
this conversation with Luke Naylor. Thanks so much. Hey folks, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, this morning, early morning, I am at Arkansas Game and Fish Commission headquarters here in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, Luke Naylor, the uh, waterfowl kingpin of Arkansas. Uh, that's not your actual official title. It's it's waterfowl program coordinator. It, yeah, and it and it was until about four months ago, and now I'm the wildlife management division chief. Uh, but. I'm still the waterfowl guy for 16 years here, and we haven't uh, we got a replacement coming in the first of the year, so I'm kind of uh, doing both jobs, uh, maybe not quite as effectively as I should right yeah, now. Yeah, let's say but you're doing double duty. <laughs> I am doing double duty right now, going into duck season, still handling the waterfowl program coordinator duties, while trying to uh, you know figure out all the wildlife management division chief stuff too. So been a little transition time right here, and uh, it's been good. But uh, I'm ready for a new guy to come in and, and take the reins for sure. Uh, yeah, and so, I mean, just Arkansas housekeeping, there was kind of like a – so we got a new director, right? That's right. And then the position under him kind of split to two positions, right? Yeah, we've had we've had kind of s- several variations on our, our directorate and how it's organized. We've had a director, we've had – uh two three four deputy directors then we've had a deputy director that serves as the chief of staff um that's all kind of been not recast but but kind of reestablished like okay we've got a director now we have a chief of staff and we have three deputy directors and so that's that seems to be the the model moving forward that we kind of had wanted to be in but we'd had some transitions there with people coming and going from those deputy director positions had one kind of stay vacant for a while. Anyway, all that said, yeah, we've had a director for over a year now, pushing a year and a half, I guess, here, uh, first of the year. And then chief of staff and had a deputy director position open. They actually promoted both the fisheries chief and the wildlife chief Yeah, uh, to that to that position, Ben Batten and Brad Corner. And so that opened up the fisheries and wildlife management divisions chief positions. And so I took Feel the wildlife management one, and, and Jason Olive is over on the fishery side just since really about the first week of June. Right on, man. Yeah, that's uh, we're we're big fans of Ben Batten on this podcast. He's okay. I've known him for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all right. He's also from like right across the Mississippi River from me. So he likes the Cardinals. He likes pork steaks. Uh, Got it. All that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, well, so I mean, and look, a uh, wildlife director that's like a big job. Like that's. There's a lot going on. Yeah, that's a move yeah. from, you know, like uh, just banding, not just, but like, you know, when you in, when you enter into this kind of career path and you're a biologist coming out of college. Because, uh, I mean, really, waterfowl coordinator for the state of Arkansas is a, I mean, that's got to be a coveted position, right? It, it, coveted is, a, is a, the word we think should be applied to it. Um, it's kind of interesting these days. That's a whole, like probably a whole nother discussion about what, what wildlife students are doing these days and and where they're going, what positions they're taking. There's a lot of us kind of struggling through that right now. Like where are these folks that are in college getting wildlife degrees, even specifically studying waterfowl, where are they going? Because they're not really seeking out these type of jobs in in mass. 
Um, it's it's kind what, of an what interesting do you mean, time. What type of jobs like like waterfowl specialist for a state agency, okay. or even a waterfowl specialist within the Fish and Wildlife Service? It's kind of a different era. I, I don't I don't fall back into these old tropes of like ah you know back in my day type stuff, but because there were lots of people doing lots of different things, different career paths coming out of college mm-hmm. back when I was coming out quite a while ago now. Uh, but, but yeah, these positions as state waterfowl biologists are really, they're really good jobs. And, and it, it's not, that's not just blowing smoke, you know, trying to, trying to prop up our agency or that position. Um, I truly enjoyed what I did in that position for 16 years. And I think it's a phenomenal opportunity and we've got a, we got a good person coming in to take the job the first of the year. So that'll be great. Uh, but, um, frankly, a lot of these folks are having a, we're having a hard time finding folks who want to serve these roles in state agencies. Uh, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but, but the Arkansas waterfowl biologist job, I've always said it is, it is a a great position. You have, as long as you're able to kind of compartmentalize the negativity that some kind sometimes comes with it. Yeah. And I'll just say that and, and not getting any more, more details maybe, but, um, you know, it, I've always enjoyed working on waterfowl in Arkansas because there's passion. People care about it. You know, you could go to some place and and maybe have a little bit easier day to day life if people weren't passionate about the resource you're managing. But I think it'd get kind of boring, really. Uh, but but here, that's that's not an option. There's a hundred thousand people who are passionate about waterfowl. You're always going to have something to do. You're always going to have somebody saying you're not doing it right. Uh, and you're going to have people, you know, patting you on the back for for doing good things too. So, I think that I think that passion in this state is, makes this job really valuable um, and and a really rewarding position. So, man, now I've got to turn on brain muscles that have been like not not atrophied or not sitting idle, but now thinking about all sorts of other wildlife resources throughout the state other than just waterfowl and wetlands. Uh, so it's good, you know, it's a big career step for a biologist. You, you know, I don't know too many wildlife biologists who, who went through and said, yeah, my career goal is to become eventually become an administrator. Most of us don't think that way when we're getting into this field. Um, so it is kind of a big, big step to, to take that leap, but you know, it's, it's a good one too. I think we got a lot of opportunities here, man. Our directorate is, is solid. Um, our, our, our rate of change right now is as high as even the older timers than me um, have, have really ever seen it. There's a lot of good things happening in our agency, and so it's a good time to be in a in a leadership position to, to help that stuff happen. Yeah, I mean, so translation is you got the target off your back a little bit, which is, I'm, I mean, I'm having a little bit of yeah. fun, but it's, look, I've often described, and it's something that I'd, I didn't realize until I started interacting with people that, you know, hunted other places or specifically waterfowl, but there is a, you know, there's a pugilism to waterfowling in Arkansas, you know, like I was hunting the other day and a dude had a, had like one of these tumbler, you know, Yeti cups or whatever. and had a sticker on it said season of hate, you know, which is, uh, it's, a, it's not the first time I've heard it, man. You know, it's a, it's, does kind of bum me out because it uh you know it's hard to it's hard to be a waterfowler in arkansas without 
you, you know, there's a, there's a uh, hell. Now I'm trying to be political with it. There's a man. There's a, there's kind of a like a toughness. There's a there's a defensiveness you you end up developing as a waterfowler. Uh, I mean, I've been like very involved with organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and that was always a thing. It was like a moral dilemma for me. Like I'm in this public lands advocacy group, but like I absolutely don't want you to know where my duck holes are. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, and you know, I'm like kind of suspicious about who I expose that to or who I share that knowledge with. Uh, and I understand that if someone shares that knowledge with me, that you know, there's a there's sacredness is probably a a bit of hyperbole, but there's something special about that, you know. Uh, but I mean, also wildlife director. I don't know if you would quite call it like a bureaucratic position, but like you're definitely out of the field, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I remember, I mean, not to keep name dropping them, but I remember when Ben moved from uh, like being a biologist to being fisheries director, you know, and you could tell like he felt, he felt an added responsibility. Yeah. You know, his, his position had, had definitely changed, uh, but also his, his ability for sphere of influence, you know, and making some longstanding changes. And what you're talking about, game and fish, uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it's kind of popular to be a enforcement agency hater as far as like wildlife is concerned. And I've never, I mean, honestly, I've never had a beef with the game and fish commission. Uh, there's also, I've got opinions on how things could be done that would benefit me. But, uh, I mean, really dude, like the rules are pretty lenient in Arkansas. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually disturbingly inexpensive and i've been pretty vocal about the fact that i think license rates should be you don't have to get in any of the dangerous stuff but like i think license rates are abysmally low i think that uh well i know that there's not enough money coming in to support all the infrastructure the agency has and i'm interested in maintaining good quality places uh, to hunt and fish and recreate and so i feel like you know, if every every year you got to pay an extra dollar to get a resident license to kill six deer and two turkeys and a gator and a bear and possibly an elk or whatever. But uh, anyway, let's get so let's let's talk, even though you're in this new position and, you know, you're over wildlife. So that means like pretty much everything except uh, like the fully aquatic stuff. Right. Correct. Uh, so, I mean, that's you went from specializing in, you know, basically the, the waterfowl of the Mississippi flyway to larger, uh, mammalian species, right. Uh, stuff that's crawling all over th things that, uh, reside strictly here in Arkansas. And they're not part of that, uh, you know, really international, uh, migration, but ducks in Arkansas, I think people still, they think Arkansas, they think ducks with good reason, uh, I think if you start looking at the numbers and the research, it, it makes a lot of sense to really start thinking about Arkansas as far as geese, you know, yeah. the last 10, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years, you know, speckle belly geese, which I spent a lot of time pursuing, uh, snows and Rosses, you know, and I'd even argue up until the last couple of years, it, it seems like t about two years ago, everybody figured out that they should, you know, that specks were something they could chase. Right. There was kind of people that specialized in it. I got into it a few years ahead of the curve because other people didn't see value in it. And, 
people are so protective in this state around duck hunting that kind of the angle I could get myself into it was specs. Yep. And then uh, kind of rough season and then another rough season and people were, you know, had that had these traditional like rice field leases, maybe weren't seeing the ducks they were used to, but man, they saw specs all the time. A couple dry years. Yeah. A couple dry falls. Like we're about into our, well, second in a row for sure. Maybe, maybe more than that, depending on where you are uh, precisely. But, but yeah, those dry years and, you know, the geese are here. They're a little bit more, um, you know, we know lots of things. We know, we, we don't know many more things about waterfowl migration. I mean, it's it just continues to, to fascinate me personally and professionally, um, you know, what's going on and why my, why waterfowl migrate when they do and, and why they don't when they don't. But geese seem to be a, just a little bit more, um, you know, photo period driven kind of reliable right the speckle bellies are coming to the delta right about halloween Mm -hmm. and for the past decade or so like you mentioned and that that's gonna happen like that there's almost you can pretty much set your set your calendar to it that that the geese are going to come here not all of them but there's going to be a big wave of specs in the state by the end of october you know ducks a little bit more flexible than when they're going to be hanging around although we do still have some of these key key time periods where where mallards are coming to this state um that that still happens but i think you you add all that up right more white fronts uh some dry years where duck hunting was a little bit tougher people just didn't have a place didn't have water where they hunted either on public or private land and i think yeah folks willingness to allow hunters on their property to go goose hunting uh maybe in you know an odd bean field here or there that they weren't going to lease out for a duck hunter anyway that year i think it all kind of came together like like you mentioned that was your entry to kind of get your foot in the door for waterfowling and i think a lot of people took advantage of that last couple of years it's really ramped up um and when you can get up and, and go hunting in, in tennis shoes never get wet um there's a reason people have been field goose hunting for a long time all across the country it's actually in the grand scheme of things it's kind of low impact like it's it's pretty low effort compared to it's not no effort but it's a little bit lower effort than having to you know launch a boat at three thirty in the morning and, and, and run for 10 miles and, and find some ducks in, in flooded timber right so it's it's ramped up i've talked with uh you know folks selling decoys and stuff around here the last several years and they can definitely that's your that's your best place to go look for patterns in waterfowl hunting behavior right what, what are they selling at max yeah for sure and it's the goose stuff has gone off the charts yeah people i mean there's and everybody i was a i was in a goose blind on saturday and this past saturday and sunday so today's uh, the day after the primaries so just this past weekend i was hunting both days the second day ended up kind of doing this to, to get to hunt it, the, the farmer's boy and his buddies had to come kind of deal, right? And uh, three out of four of those dudes had uh, had R&T bar bellies, right? Like uh, green and red. Uh, I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, just, yeah. just the way it goes. Like something gets kind of in style or whatever. Uh, and best I could tell, one of them could call, you know? And uh, I mean, really didn't, didn't, 
did pretty good. And I would say, I don't know this guy's name or anything, but I, I would say, too, what I noticed, because my first inclination was to be irritated. He was calling. Uh, but he's he didn't try and get on top, which is like, that's a big thing, right? He didn't He didn't try and call on top of guys that were just more experienced and knew what they were doing more, right? He added to it. So, like, I thought he – I actually thought that he ended up being, like, a – a benefit to the calling as opposed to just wanting to like yodel all over. Like he kept, he kept his thing 50% of the decibel rating. Right. So yeah, it was yeah. just adding that background. Uh, he clucked when he was supposed to. I mean, he was like buzzing, like seriously, I wish I knew the kid's name. Cause he was, and I'm calling him a kid, man. Cause, uh, I mean, he man, this dude was young, man. Dude was young. He looked like he had a, uh, I t- after he left, I was like, man, that kid looks so young. He looked like he had a glue on mustache, but, <laughs> Yeah, man, just like people, no one even understood three, four, five years ago. People didn't understand it was a completely different presentation of air, right? Like probably a lot of people that were really seasoned waterfowlers in Arkansas had never seen like a goose called gut set up, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and now, and and I would say, I, and, I, and I feel like I said this a couple of years ago, but I was like, man, it's about, these specs are about to get harder and they're getting harder. There's, they're just seeing a lot, you know, and then for last couple of years, there was a, everybody had silhouettes, right? Mm-hmm. And so something that was very different for a minute, just like when Mojo's came out or whatever else, like they start seeing it all over. Uh, when I first started hunting them, we were laying out in whites and then kind of, I mean, that's a, man, that's a drag on you. You know, a season of that wears you out, right? Laying in <laughs> chocolate milk. And then people start moving to A-frames and... Then everybody was is hunting out of A-frames, and I'm almost of a mind that it might be time to start going back to laying out the field a little bit more. Uh, also, just for me personally, it's it's less claustrophobic. I've never been a fan of, like, pit blinds. It's always like, oh, we got to hunt out of a pit blind. I like being able to see. I like being able to look around uh, peripheral vision and stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, that's like a whole new skill set too, which is being able to acquire the target just on the call to pop up. You know, yeah. like, yeah, uh, that it's, it's a weird deal, but I'll tell you what I'd really like to, to broach with you. Uh, and I feel like I've waxed on and on about it and, you know, I don't want to do like kind of the cliched questions like Mandy's like, what is it about hunting the timber? <laughs> because if you've done it, you understand that it's special. It's, it's, I don't know, like, why do you love your kids or your grandma or something? It's it's a hard thing to quantify into the English language, but suffice it to say is that that's probably what most waterfowlers have in common. Like if you took individual waterfowlers and you took them away from the influence of their friends or their community or their club or whatever, I'm talking about people that actually are invested in this, excuse me, in Arkansas, they all get that there's something special about that. Right. Uh, I wonder, and without going into, again, some of the, just the tropes, there is something distinctly different about waterfowling in Arkansas. It's, uh, there's a ton of romance and there's a ton of tradition. There's a ton of kind of underdog pride. I feel like, like, I feel like Arkansas is a place that 
kind of has a chip on its shoulder. Like most people outside Arkansas don't think about Arkansas. You <laughs> Unless know? you're a duck hunter. Unless you're a duck hunter. Right. Uh, but I mean, and a lot of folks, if they know something about Arkansas, it's Bill Clinton and it's maybe ducks, right? Correct. Uh, and I think it's something that uh, the state as a whole and the hunting populace uh, kind of prides itself on. I kind of pride myself on that, you know, a, a middle of the road duck hunter, public land duck hunter in Arkansas is a really, I mean, comparatively, is a very high-level duck hunter. High-end. You know, uh, I hunted this fancy marsh in California last year. And it was me and this buddy of mine from Mississippi that, you know, grew up hunting Mississippi and coming to Arkansas hunting. And, man, you know, the hunting style was was totally different. It was like these kind of little mounded-up, blinds in this in this marshland uh the susan marsh and it's man cool looking place i mean huge flocks of widgeons and pintails and stuff flying yeah. around uh but if i'm gonna be honest with you it was it was kind of how to say it was a little unfulfilling the hunting was a little unfulfilling because those birds don't work that's a pass shooting game the only birds you could break with a call were shovelers <laughs> and so I want, I would prefer to shoot those and I don't, I'm not a spoonie hater, but like, I would prefer to shoot those because like, I, and they turned, you know what I mean? And yeah, they, they worked four right. corners. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in man, and normally I don't talk this much on podcasts, but as I understand it, you're not from Arkansas originally. I'm right? not, I'm a Kansas Prairie kid. So, yeah. which I mean, Kansas has a fantastic duck hunting right now. Yeah. But from your perspective as a person who is, passionate enough about waterfowl to base your career around it right someone who came from somewhere else to this if not coveted incredibly unique and special position uh, as a waterfowl coordinator what do you think we get right about waterfowling duck hunting in arkansas and where do you think we're 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 missing it I think, like I mentioned earlier, the, the passion for it, right? The people, the just the unashamed, um, forward-facing passion for for waterfowl hunting um, is is something that is unique here. I've told the story before. Um, you know, my dad coming in from Kansas and coming to visit, and he he bought a, a camouflage boat years ago, and he hunted a few of the reservoirs. We grew up. I grew up in a little small town just north of Wichita. And he still, he lives in Wichita now, um, and bought a boat, hunt some reservoirs around there. And this was 20, 20 years ago. And, you know, pretty unique actually to be driving a camouflage boat around. Yeah. In 1548 Kansas. or something. Oh yeah. 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 And so it was, and then he comes down here when we move to Arkansas and comes down here and starts, starts hunting. And it's like, I mean, there's nothing special about a camo boat and a black dog at all i mean they're they're everywhere right and yeah. and i think it's and i spent six years in california um went out there for graduate school stayed and worked there worked in a bunch of those marshes less so in the susun marsh out in the out in the bay more so in the in the central valley uh, but got to experience that whole duck hunting culture out there as well that which which fewer people realize that california has anything to do with duck hunting but but it's they got kill a, more ducks than anybody yeah it's got a rich rich tradition of duck hunting in a lot of different um eco regions out there too mm -hmm. like the bays um in the central valley that central, oh dude, it's that central valley when you land in uh 
Sacramento. Or yeah, and then you drive across. Yeah, it's crazy. I told a buddy, man, like, I got emotional. Like, seeing that many birds right there. Because uh, it's been it's been hard to see that drive around Arkansas the last while. And, it, dude, it, it is something special. Uh, well, they're all in one spot. It's like 50 miles wide and 150 yeah. miles long. They're all there. Like so, all, all the ducks are coming to that spot. So you're gonna you're gonna see them. Um, it, it, a lot of cool stuff there. So got to experience that where you almost, um, you know, it, it, it's not um, it's not really cool to show your camo and your and your duck dog out where I was living in California. Sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just leave it at that. But it wasn't really had a lot of phenomenal experiences out there, and we just it's a great place great place to learn great place to with all kinds of outdoor recreational opportunities including duck hunting but it's just not like here um and you know kansas it was growing up the, with the blaze orange wave uh the second weekend in november mm-hmm. for quail and pheasant opener and and then you come here it's just really really clear yeah deer deer hunting wins right this coming weekend opening day of deer, deer season right that's some big mobilization of of force here in arkansas hunting right there's more people more total people doing it but the level of passion that people have for for waterfowl hunting as a cultural identifier it's just yeah. it just it is your identity and when we ask people about that over the years you know are you a duck hunter and so many people have that have that identity have that personal identity as a duck hunter even though they may not duck hunt every year uh they they do i they identify as a duck. They have the barbelly duck call. They've got the t-shirts. They've got all the gear, right? And they may only go once or twice every few years, mm-hmm. but they still would tell someone if they asked, hey, are you from Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. Are you a duck hunter? Yes, I'm a duck hunter. And, and it's really, it's uh, there's absolutely no shame associated with that identity in Arkansas, which I think is 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 phenomenal. I think it's why we're an outlier when you look at hunting participation trends across the country, that Arkansas is not, there is no decline in waterfowl hunters in Arkansas. Um, we're, we're holding our own and I, and you could dive deep in all the different reasons for that. But I, I, I really think that cultural um, acceptability and just social acceptance for that behavior and that lifestyle, it's gotta be playing a role in, in, and why waterfowl hunting remains a very popular pastime. Now, now what we might be doing a little bit wrong, you know, it's you don't want you want to be careful to talk about that and not pass judgment on on anyone. But but I do see folks. I wonder what the future looks like. You know, hunting out activities and 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 fishing too. There's always been a competitive nature to it, right? I mean, bass tournaments have been around for how long? And that grew out of a bunch of bass clubs and, you know, bass anglers. Competition drives people. Mm-hmm. Competition adds some um, adds some value to that activity, adds a little bit of interest. I worry that, that the duck hunting culture is getting a little bit, it's leaning too hard that direction, that it's, it's too much about the fight, it's too much about the conflict instead of about the bird or the resource. Um, I... I I always got to be real careful with talking about that because sure, I do not sure. want to go into the whole "Hey, when I was a kid" crap. I don't. That stuff drives me nuts. Because um, I guarantee you, when I was ten, fifteen, twenty years old, there were there were forty, fifty, sixty year old men grapping about me. Uh, so so you got to be careful about that. But I hope the folks coming into waterfowl hunting 
really fallen in love with waterfowl hunting now are are getting a chance to to get a hold of the the core values of that which is the resource um you can get poetic you know spending time in nature and all that kind of stuff and i don't know about all that um some people are driven by that some aren't Mm -hmm. uh but i think i think if there is anything that we're not maybe not getting wrong but are are leaning towards a little bit too much of it's the it's the driven by competition thing it's folks that if they rank um you know what drives them to go duck hunting on public land every day if the competition part of it is at the top, I worry, you know, when does that end, right? When does that stop driving people? And then when does that affect the overall waterfowl hunting culture and participation 30, 40 years from now? If that's what drives you, is that going to keep you dri- is that going to keep you gr- driven when you're 50 years old and more tired than you are at 25? Um, I don't know. So I, I hope it's not kind of at this fork in the road where people are are driven by the competition more than the bird. Um, but I also, I also see those same people, like you were talking about those, those spec hunters, right? A couple of guys, they grabbed, got the bar bellies. That individual had clearly, he gleaned enough about the culture and kind of the rites of passage of, of goose hunting to know how to kind of fit in, right? To, to, to become yeah. part of the hunt and not be, Hey, you know what? I think I'm a better caller than this guy. So I'm gonna outcompete him, right? He 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 knew enough somehow, whether he learned it watching YouTube, hunting with buddies, whatever. I mean, this dude had obviously he had grown up. These guys had all been duck hunting and stuff. They were talking about brushing and blind. So I mean, yeah, he, he'd been around. Yeah, he grew up in it. Uh I, I tell you what I kinda was thinking about is that Yeah, the guy who is who 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 wants the race right which is a, is a phenomenon of arkansas the duck boat race but the guy who wants that the guy who wants to to beat everybody more than he wants to work ducks i i think that what i see is it transfers into is uh the the acquisition of private access right and like who you can keep out right Yep. And uh, and then it and then it makes the access to the the land and the resource such a coveted thing that that it it becomes a self defeating enterprise, right? Because then it's just for me and just for mine. Uh, yeah, this like the idea that you could door knock and get permission to go duck hunt when you see a hundred mallers in someone's corner someone's field is laughable in arkansas yeah you know i mean like i think that's getting hard probably lots of places it is but i mean especially in arkansas i mean if you got a gun pulled on you i wouldn't be surprised right probably too because you're dealing with like some uh landowner or farmer man who's i mean they're getting inundated right every day all non-stop and now with like white geese uh, and you got folks coming down the week before and be, because what's also entered this, right. Is it's like, so if I'm going to say the things that aren't great about duck hunting, uh, it's the competition aspect of it. It's the pugilism and it's the economic incentives around it. Right. And I don't begrudge anyone making money. Uh, I mean, hell it's, 
I'm involved in it. But yeah, man, you start talking about thousands of dollars and wiener wagon rights, man, and like <laughs> I mean, there's been wars fought for less, right? Yeah, it's uh we're all making a buck off the duck, you know, sure. you, me, Max, whoever, right? Um, but that was my job for, for a lot of years, and it's part of my job now, right? So I'm making a living off – off. I'm, I'm financially invested in, in wildlife as well. But I've, I firmly believe that amongst all the challenges that people talk about for our our pastime, our culture of hunting, it's, it's privatization and exclusive, exclusivity – are the primary threats yeah in my opinion that and, and i think it speaks to um private land accessibility uh, like you were just talking about but i think at a more you, you kind of can as an as an agency manager um biologist manager decision maker man it's it's really it's really tough these these, these decisions about you know what to do on public land with hunter management are not as easy as a lot of folks would like to like to say they might be um but but you can kind of sit back and think well yeah it's public land there is no problem with it's it's by definition not privatized right right because it's public land mm -hmm. anybody can go out there anytime but what you're alluding to well it kind of it can kind of happen because of the, the this competitive nature where people are wanting to their primary objective each day on a hunt is to beat somebody else to a spot to a flock group of birds whatever it may be right yeah it's not it, it's not it, you can't just go out there with a riveted boat and a five horsepower motor right no like, it, it, it's like that kind of stuff is is becoming less common unfortunately i think unfortunately if i put a value judgment on it um but it's but there's still people out there who who do work cooperatively with other hunters out there on public land for sure. They don't get the press, obviously. It's the bad apples that always get to get the press. But our agency has tried to deal with that over the years with what we've done with excuse me years ago now up in northeast Arkansas on on blinds and hole maintenance and and things like that that basically equated to privatization of public land, and and we took pretty unpopular steps at the time to to do away with that um we've we've been doing some evaluations looking at uh hunter intercept surveys like the fish people do creel surveys right you mm -hmm. go talk to a hunter when they come out and we've been we've been interviewing a bunch of people over the years and trying to figure out um you know all right duck hunter do you f what drives your satisfaction on that that daily hunt do you feel crowded while hunting and it's kind of fascinating because most people you would talk to and, and most people, um, you know, get in the ear of our administration and, and me up there, it, it'd be the people who say, man, there's just too many people. It's crowded. Um, there's just people around every tree. Like, it, this is bad. Y'all have to do something. And when we go out and talk to do conduct well over a thousand interviews on, on Biometer or Black River the past several years, by and large, crowding is one of the least important factors to duck hunters when they leave that hunt and that was kind of a it's a little bit of a mind-blown moment when you look at that and say well okay well wait a minute this looks like a lot of people to me what is a primary concern for them? uh duck scene duck shot like yeah. pretty much every other hunter survey done since the beginning of hunter surveys <laughs> can i see ducks can i shoot ducks that drives my satisfaction um weather water levels crowding that kind of stuff seem less important we, we started talking about this stuff okay what do, what do we do with that so 
I, I'm a public land duck hunter. I know that there's a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. I know that I feel crowded at times, but generally the general public's telling us that when we ask them immediately following their hunt, the crowd need to not Im- impact their hunt satisfaction that day. The interesting thing we're going to, tr- we're, we're putting our, trying to get our heads around here moving forward is, is what does that mean about the hunter population we currently have using those WMAs? Man, dude, you just, like, that's what my mind's going so, to. So, right. So we're, we're having some conversations with our partners on the National Wildlife Refuge side right now. Um, they're very interested in these questions. So we're serving the people, we're surveying the people who are playing the game, right? They're in it. They, they go to Biometer Black River every day, all the lights, all the, all the neon, LED, yeah, yeah, color, yeah. all that kind of crap is just normal to them, right? They just write it off. So you just kind of, you kind of mentally just put that behind you, I think, is what a lot of people are doing. They're just, either they embrace it and they love it, or they're just checking it off as something that just has to be done to go duck hunting on Arkansas public land. And to our credit, to his credit, our, our director asked when we started, when he came on board and we started sharing some of these results, he said, well, okay, that's what hunters are telling us, but are we just serving, surveying a, a desensitized population? Like we got a bunch of people out there that the current participants are the ones who are already, they've just resigned themselves to the fact that this is what it's going to be. Yeah. But what about all those people who have, who want to get in or who have left that we're not talking to at those boat ramps and, and how do those people play in to the, you know, the past, present or future of duck hunting in Arkansas? We know less about those people. It's always hard, uh, together the opinion of the non-participant right (laughs) you can't yeah you can't get a hold of those people you don't know how to reach them as well or it's a lot more complicated so we're having those conversations right now and seeing if we can't reach try to find a way to reach out to what we call you know lapsed hunters for example people may who who don't hunt every year who haven't hunted in several years um coming down the road here a little bit uh, we may be trying to dig into that a little bit more and see like okay have people actually been pushed out of it um, because of land access, because of de facto privatization or the impression of privatization on public lands or, or the simple competition of it. They just said, man, I'm out on this. I'm done. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take somebody new to experience this because it's not a positive experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not going to take somebody and we're in a place, you know, yeah, we got plenty of duck hunters right now. Things are, things are going well. That population is not declining. That's overall a good thing. But, you know, what's the future look like? And I think we've always got to be aware of that. And that the competition, it, it's just got to be the biggest, one of the biggest issues facing us right now. I mean, talk to a bunch of old timers on private land, and, and I say that term of, that's a term of endearment when I say old timer. That's not a judgment call here. Um, folks with a lot more experience than me. Uh, and, you know, talk about these odd areas on private lands and just, you can skip that over to how the ag landscape has completely changed in the past 20 or 30 or 40 years. And it used to be lots of contoured fields, you know, Mm -hmm. most of the ag fields are contoured. So most of those contoured fields would have a five, 10, 20 acre bottom that would float up when it rained in December. And you'd be able to just go knock on the farmer's door say hey you got ducks here they're gonna be here for two weeks while the water's in there you mind if i i go have a couple hunts yeah yep. sure go ahead yep yeah. go on because the farmer's not managing for it so he's mm-hmm. not leasing it yeah now zero grade fields laser leveled fields 
you end up, which is great for water conservation, farming efficiency. There's lots of positives for doing that. That's I'm not at all here to critique any of those modern agricultural practices that, that have lots of benefit, agronomic benefits. Um, but I think on our side of game and fish, we've got to be active in the conversation to say, all right, that's the way ag is moving. How can we, how can we play a role to help make sure that the wildlife habitat and even the hunting opportunities side of it stays on the landscape given this changing ag landscape right you got all these fields that drain in 24 hours Mm -hmm. and you don't you don't have these odd a square leveled field you know by design does not have any odd corners little low spots in it they're going to catch water yeah and maybe grow a few more weeds in the rest of the field you know maybe have some ducks after that three inch rain in december it's just not out there anymore at a landscape scale so is that pushing more people to these public land situations where they don't have that casual spot and i can grab two or three duck hunts a year that's all i need mm-hmm. and i just got old joe down the street who lets me go hunt and i don't have to have an enormous financial investment oh it, it's right? mi- it's minimal like that that's the that's the kind of duck hunting that i grew up doing and, and loving you know a dozen dozen and a half decoys yeah, you hike flambos in. or something yeah. oh absolutely the old the old flamboys right yeah the, the big eyes yeah <laughs> with the big eyes on them look totally on the big orange bill on the on the hens right yeah, yeah yeah they looked ridiculous but i don't know how many ducks well all the ducks we shot wherever those decoys growing up um that kind of just real low barrier to entry um, duck hunt is coming. It's harder and harder to come by. Yeah, I mean, look in Arkansas, you know, you look. It doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, I'm sure somewhere it does, but so I would. I actually feel like I might be a little uh, uniquely uh, positioned to answer some of those queries. And I'm not saying you're asking me directly, but. Uh, so one, I'd say that the competition aspect on public land is, I mean, so you got you got to understand this, right? Like I killed my first duck when I was 27 years old, right? In 12 years, I, I went from killing a shoveler in a weed field in Lone Oak to, you know, like my identity kind of personally and professionally revolves, uh, largely revolves around that sphere of waterfowling, right? Like I, I drank the Kool-Aid hard, right? I I went real deep into it and, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably enough said, but I I can tell you that, uh, and, and I'll say this too. Also, like, you know, when people started paying attention to me or someone asked me, you know, write a little blog or something, right? Like the thing about barrier to entry that they always go to, right, is the fact that I'm not white, right? They're like, that's got to be the barrier to entry. And fair, I mean, fair play, dude. Look, it's a barrier to entry for this, right? That is an added barrier to entry on all the other stuff, right? Like, I, I can't, it's hard to explain. And I bet you, you could probably, you know, even if you didn't have the specific experience, you could get it. It's hard to explain to a lot of people how hard I had to want to duck hunt for me to get to the level within this fear that I'm at. Right. Uh, and, and I'll tell you this, man, I've not been in Bayou Mita in probably seven years. And the last time I was in Bayou Mita, I had dudes 50 yards away from me raining steel shot down on me. Cause they, they, they were going to set up where they were going to set up oh, yeah. whether or not we were there. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's, 
I, I just got something to lose now, right? I got like a wife, I've got kids, like I, <laughs> I'm not immune to being provoked into, you know, shouting. So I was just like, man, I can't be involved in this. And I'm not saying that that's every time that, I mean, that's a rarity to get to that level. But I remember a few years ago, and this does kind of, it illustrates kind of the, you know, the intellectual dilemma we're talking about a little bit. A few years ago, I was, you know, I got the place up by Brinkley. So I was hunting some public land by Brinkley just by myself. Uh, and was just getting whooped. I mean, like not firing a shot for day after day, right? So I'm pulling my boat around. I put like 300 and something miles uh, on my truck that day. Uh, and I was like hunting stuff in the cache, wasn't killing birds. I drove up, I drove north and west and went to Ed Gordon, right? And scouted. And it was a day before the beginning of the second split. And I came in from one way, boated in, and walked in, and I found like 2,000 mallards, right? I was like, this is perfect. And then I heard something. And these two guys walked in from a different way, and they found the same birds, same time, right? And so uh, I go talk to them. I'm like, hey, man, you guys going to hunt these birds tomorrow? And they're like, yeah, we're hunting these birds tomorrow. I was like, just the two of you? Yeah. I was like, how about this, dude? How about instead of us fighting for these birds, let's trade numbers. Let's go hunt these birds together and have a good hunt, right? And it was like everything you, you want it to be. Like these guys were nice. They were cool. One, I had an outboard. One of them had a mud motor. I got up there. I was the second person in line. I held the spot uh, and then swapped when they got there. You know, and I took the back spot and let him have my spot because he could run this this uh, power line ditch and all this stuff, right? And we got to the spot. It all worked out. And then I watched these groups of you know, like college age people set up in a circle around us. All around you. And they shot our swings to the point that like I was really getting irritated. I had to get my stuff and leave <laughs> because I was thinking about walking up and saying something. And so I did and I just left. And but then back at the boat ramp. So so that space place in particular, there's like kind of a it's probably the closest place to hunt ducks, like within a lot of colleges, right? Oh I've, I've I've spent hundreds of hours at Ed Gordon. Yeah. I live in Conway. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's so kind of my they're home They're coming from WMA. Conway and... Uh, Tech and UCA. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I'll tell you what happened when I got back to the uh, boat ramp. And so I was, like, talking to some folks that were there. One, everybody I met, like, legit, everybody I met at that ramp was super nice and super friendly. And it was really validating to see, like, I was watching, you know, 18-year-old dudes... They were hunting with decoys that, you know, I'd give away to somebody, right? I mean, these were like shot up just beaters. <laughs> They're out there with their buddies. They were having a good time. Uh, but I was complaining about people shooting my swings. And this one guy said, one guy said, man, if a duck is, gets within 60 yards of me, I'm shooting at it. And he, he wasn't trying to be a, a, an a-hole about it. That's what his idea of duck cunning was it wasn't to work ducks it wasn't like i had a real obsession with being able to call ducks right and like getting good enough and then watching them react like i remember when i just shot birds that landed at the first 15 minutes of sunrise or sunlight and then when i started being able to work ducks and that wasn't part of it for him it was just getting to kind of pull the trigger at it right and there was and i don't think that any of those groups of people around us I don't think there was malice in them. I think they felt like it was totally acceptable. And uh, for them it was. And they weren't doing anything wrong. And they weren't stepping on somebody else's hunt. Uh, 
and even me with just like 10 years of experience in it, it felt, it felt like I was being violated. Oh yeah. You know, I've, I've been there and that, that, yeah, it's all about the shot, you know, and I, and I argued good friends that I, I spent time with in school and work out in California and had that identical mentality that if there's a duck, I'll say within range, but they they weren't within my range. Um, it's all about the shot. And I actually had these arguments with people like, look, I want to, I want to, I mean, I want to win, right? I sure. mean, it's not me at competition with me and the bird, but it's like, it's like turkey hunting. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to walk up on a turkey and shoot it out of a tree if that's legal somewhere. And it wasn't where I grew up, but I, I don't want to creep down a ditch and pick up out of it and go shoot a turkey. Right. I mean, I could do that all over pretty frequently in Kansas with incised Creek drainages. I mean, it's pretty easy to sneak on a Turkey out mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, the, the, the game for me is, is the calling and getting that bird completely fooled, completely fooled. And I only shoot just, just because it's part of the experience. Right. I mean, there's somebody who wrote a while back, you don't, what do you, you, you don't hunt to kill you kill to have hunted or something like that. There was mm -hmm. some author who wrote that a while back. Like that's kind of part of it for me with duck hunting it's all about the experience of working birds, getting them in close, and yep, I'm gonna shoot some, right? Because I like to eat them. <laughs> I'm, I'm there to, I'm there to, I'm there to kill ducks unashamedly. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a finality the, to it. Yeah, sure. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there to do that. But like, I'm not satisfied if I just shoot some duck coming over at 60 yards and you know never have any interaction with that bird except to just cross my airspace for a split second. And but a whole bunch of people clearly. I don't think that's entirely new. I think it's just more, more common now, maybe, or more. Um, I mean, Nash Buckingham was no duck caller, right? I mean, that guy got in the got in the bushes and just pass shot ducks all day. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't a duck hunter like like you and I would think of as a sure. duck hunter, right? So that's it's not brand new. Uh, yeah, and that's part of it. What I was trying to get at earlier, I think, is just without going to the whole kids these days. Um, argument it's just how do those how do folks get that experience of saying you know what there, there's something actually better here than just shooting a three and a half inch shell at a bird 60 to 80 yards away because it passed over like there's a there's something better that happens here if you spend a little bit more time interacting with that bird perfecting the craft of calling of hiding which Hell, nobody knows how to hide. Dude, hiding's a huge no, part of it. Nobody knows how to do that, and and they think they're hidden, and they're not. Get up in an airplane and do duck surveys. Dude, for I was a while. about to say. I mean, so you've actually done, and now everyone's doing drones. But I mean, you've been up in an airplane a million times. Like, I don't think people get what the what the the little circle spot in the middle of your face looks like. Oh, pie facing, man. Pie yeah. facing is real, and and. And I started, I started getting airsick, so I don't fly. I haven't flown in a while, but our guys do. And I spent a bunch of hours up there, um, you know, ten years ago when I when I was actively doing all that stuff. But and we used to joke like it if you fly across the delta, it would be we generously put the number at maybe like five to ten percent of setups would fool a, fool us from a quarter mile away. Mm -hmm. Like and it and it doesn't get better as you get closer. It gets yeah. worse for the hunter, right? So from a quarter mile away, we're looking out at some setup, 
and get a lean to the pilot or or just kind of kind of get yourself ready like oh there's some there's some ducks kind of up up here that i'm going to need to count it, it's literally i mean it's single digit percentages of spreads that fool of us from that distance 90 percent of the time you just glance on the glance on the horizon you look there's a dude standing up mm-hmm. there's clear water in a rice field no mud anywhere there's no flock of I mean, and you've got 24, 24 decoys spaced four to six feet apart in a circle on either side of the rice mm-hmm. levee, and it's crystal, it's gin clear water, right, which no real flock of ducks ever has clear water under their feet, and it's a little things like that nobody does. They're all, they're all standing around looking at you, the hunters, and, and it's like you don't even give it a second glance from a quarter mile away. It's that bad. Like, it is that obvious. If you fly around for a little while like that, you wonder how anybody kills a duck. Yeah, because it's so obvious. Now you get you can get away with a little bit more in the woods until you get closer, right? But until you know birds get closer. But now it's it's all those little things that I just, I, you know, I just I wonder when that's gonna people just having that opportunity to experience what I would call you know the full combination of a duck hunt when you have birds you know, in your face, like the shot is secondary, the shot, there is no great wing shooting needed to, to take a really committed duck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I miss plenty, but there's no, it's not challenging. Like most duck hunting shots, if the ducks are finished, like the shooting really is not all that complicated, especially if you're in the woods. Yeah. Modified choke inside it, of 20 yards. It's nothing, you yeah. know, I mean, I'm, it, it's all secondary to everything else that led up to that opportunity to pull the trigger. And it's this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, well, if I don't shoot that duck at 60 yards, well, somebody else is. If I don't shoot at it now, I mean, that next group is, so why would I wait? Why would I try to do anything different? And, and then it just kind of snowballs on itself where pretty soon you've got all the groups out hunting this area doing the same thing and never get a chance to experience something different um but you watch people do that on public land or on private land where there's no competition around them too right yeah yeah. they still they still behave the same way and that's not that's not drastically new man i just would think with so many people being being really using public lands these days um I mean, duck hunting got cool, right? I mean, it was a robo-duck generation, the duck dynasty yeah. generation we talk about. Duck hunting, duck hunting got cool in 99, 2000. It got, got cool again with with duck dynasty. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to grow big, long beards and blow a duck call and shoot at ducks too far because um, that's what they watch these other other dudes do, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, as a manager, you know, you struggle with what to do with that because – you hear people i lived in california right and my culture shock going out there was when i i, I had this experience I, I lived in davis which was just west of sacramento right across the yolo bypass which is probably one i-80 that you probably drove across yeah. when you're headed to susan marsh and there's a public area right there and i got out of class one day and i thought Man, i'm just gonna go out and scout this area you know like i mean i grew up in kansas you just pull up at a parking lot in a wildlife area you just go walk around. Sure. Any day, of the, any day of the week, whenever. I show up out there, and they're asking me for a $13 handoff, like I'm supposed to pay them to buy a permit to go out and hunt that every day. I have my licenses, right? Mm-hmm. But here's, nope, you need this. You need to pay us $13 for your daily pass to go duck hunt. I said, well, what? wait a minute. Like, 
no, I'm just going to park the car and I'm just going to go walk around because I've literally, I've never been here and I just want to get a lay of the land. I just want to scout. And he looked at me like I had three eyes. What do you mean scout? Yeah. You don't scout. That was just a foreign concept, huh? Yeah. They don't, that's not part of it. Right. Cause you, cause you hunt Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday on public land in, in California. That's it. And it's all permitted. It's all check stations. Yeah. Highly regulated. Um, and I had some of the worst interactions with other hunters I've ever had in my life, including Arkansas. I had them in California, highly regulated, quotas on every square inch of the place every day, and had some absolutely horrible experiences with other hunters. So I sit here as a, as a manager with those experiences, looking at the challenges we have in Arkansas. Well, you know, tight regulations and quotas on everything – Sounds like a pretty easy, to some people, sounds like that's the easy win, right? You just do it by way, everybody can go out there and you may not get to hunt every day, but once you do, you're going to have a nice quality. We use this term quality a lot, which mm-hmm. is, of course, in the eye of the beholder, um, and have a quality experience. It's just not that easy. It's not that simple. So we're wrestling with those ideas now about what sure. would you do. And if, if hunters have been paying attention, uh, pretty much every new tract of land we've bought over the past 15 years or so has some sort of limited permit access on it. So we haven't bought a ton of new ground, mm-hmm. but the big one being Raft Creek, of course, over yeah. by Georgetown. Um, and some other pla- smaller tracks we bought over the years, uh, we've, those all have permitted limited access. Or like the duck, on. like you're leasing that from the farmers. Yep. Same deal there, right? A quality hunt. Ex- the idea is to have an exclusive experience for one party of hunters so they can have something different than the rat race of public land duck hunting. Um, we're considering other regulations. You know, we're going to go to Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday hunting on Ed Gordon starting 2023 okay. season, right? To try to let some birds actually use that place and and have a little bit more hopefully um higher quality hunting people seeing more ducks right we said duck seeing and duck shot is what drives satisfaction we're going to see if we if we can have some success like at raft creek where we've had had limited day hunting for 20 years now and yeah there's like raft creek's got like you got to do like an internet draw you do there's a usually there's like specific uh you know, they got like those kind of like specific spots, spots or whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. Until the water gets up. Man, I've driven the ditch down in Raft Creek like half a mile because it's so flooded up. You can't yep. even get there, you know. that's That place is wild. It's like a lake out there, yeah. Yeah, dude. On, on big water. A lot of birds. Yeah, that's I right. mean, yeah, there were, there were birds around. Uh, all right, so I know you've got you got places to be, so we're going to have to wrap this up here. Oh, we're going to do too. But, uh, you know, I... I was just thinking, and I don't think we've done this, but this is not meant to be like a doom and gloom thing. I just, I'm honestly, I'm interested in having like real substantive conversations about waterfowling because it is something I think about a lot. The idea of, you know, it being accessible to people. Uh, I mean, that's like personally important to me uh, because it, it, I mean, truthfully, man, it's like hunting in general, but specifically hunting ducks. It was like a really transformative experience for me, you know, for, I mean, I've had some, you know, like really kind of reverent experiences out there doing it. And 
I, I mean, honestly, like I still prefer to hunt by myself uh, or like maybe just with one other person or something like that. Even as I've done like some kind of commercial stuff, like every year I've lowered the number of people that I take, right? Like I've got it capped at five people because I, I, I was able to see how it affected the experience for everybody and for folks to get what I wanted them to get out of it. It can't be too many folks. Uh, but I mean, I would say that like my biggest, my biggest hindrance to like what I'm doing or a part of what I'm doing, uh, is access to land. You know, like I've gotten to a point where I've got like a little bit of a profile, right? Uh, there's like people in the community, some people in the community know who I am. Uh, and what it costs me to be able to hunt five people two days for the weekend is astronomical. And that's, and that's doing like on a per diem basis, trying to get, trying to get a, an actual chunk of land that I can use like exclusively. I'll be real honest with it. I haven't been able to do it effectively, like not a good producing piece. Right. Now people will let you spend money on, on just leftovers. Right. Uh, and sometimes you got to kind of take like, take a wild swing and say like, uh, I'll throw a little bit of money here and see if it, if it turns into something. But I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, dude, I mean, you could easily spend six figures. Oh, easy. You know, for like a little duck club. And, and folks don't get that. And so, you know, I like, I field way more calls of people who want to come hunt than I can, than I can ever reasonably do because then I've got to charge a price that cuts a bunch of people out because, you know, you can't, I can't have somebody that's like, man, I got a, I borrowed a pair of waders and an 870 and I got 300 bucks to hunt. Like <laughs> there's nothing there. Like that, that would not get you a day of hunt of bad hunting right. in Arkansas. Right. Uh, so I, you know, and I truthfully, like, I don't know that there's an easy answer or even a, a satisfactory answer for everybody. Cause you can't blame a farmer for trying to maximize the amount of money they're going to make off a piece of property. You can't blame somebody for wanting to be protective of a scant resource, right. Or access nope. to a scant resource. That's kind of human nature. Uh, we're, we're, we are way past as a society, we are past the point of like another thing we didn't really touch on with this new quote unquote new generation or just like, you know, the last 20 years is that everything, our lives are much less private than they used to be. You know what I mean? So like you're, you're part of the understanding of an accomplishment is being able to share it publicly with other people like, you know, with video or photography, right? I, you're not going to turn the, tied back on that so uh yeah I don't, I don't know what i'm glad i don't have your job because i don't know what the answer <laughs> would be to this i don't know that you're going to find an answer that's satisfactory to everybody T to me obviously the the predominant concern needs to be the uh maintenance of the species like their continued uh, existence and hopefully ability to thrive and uh, I mean, I really, I really am at the point to where if people could have good duck hunts, and when I say good duck hunts, like they could see ducks, they could watch duck works, watch ducks work, they could like hear that splash, right? Like, I'd give it up if it was if they were just like Jonathan, you can't ever shoot another duck, but your kids will get to do that. I'd do it. Uh, 
and and I don't know how you get more people to feel that way, but man, that's uh, it. Almost feels like everything's got to crash and burn or something first. Yeah, you know, we nothing we do is ever going to waver from the primary objective of sustaining waterfowl and the habitats they need. Right? That's that's non-negotiable. Yeah. Right. We're going to keep we're going to keep plowing forward on that. The reality is a lot of the other stuff, the human management side of it is, um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot more, um, a lot more wiggle room, a lot more flexibility in what that means. Like you can do a lot of things with managing people that don't have a measurable, probably don't have a measurable impact on the resource. So that's good, right? That means we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of room to work, mm-hmm. um, within our primary non-negotiable objective of, of waterfowl and the habitats they need to, to maintain. Um, you know, I, mentorship is so big and just introducing people to those experiences. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot about, well, man, these guys these days just don't have anybody, excuse me, never been taught the right way. A lot of, you know, kids these days, they haven't been mentored. Nobody showed them the right way to do it. And I'm as guilty as anybody. It's like, well, have you taken the time to mentor them? Like, who are they going to learn from? Yeah. And you get a lot of old crusties out there talking about kids these days, but are you willing to take the time to, you know, politely, um, hopefully constructively help men provide that guidance for certain people? And, and I don't know, it, like, because it's weird because you don't, nobody should be expected to have to do that for for like just totally for altruism right Mm -hmm. i mean you shouldn't that's a deeply connected thing being somebody's mentor in an activity um especially like hunting is it's a it's a deep commitment really to do it right um it, it, it takes a lot of time a lot of um that's a really good point that i think a lot of this r3 movement misses oh it's you're giving something of yourself. You have to. If it's going to win, if it's going to be successful, there is so much of you give away so much of yourself to do it right. Um, you know, a one-off teaching somebody how to do a particular task associated with hunting is not that complicated. You can teach somebody to shoot. You can teach somebody. Somebody can watch YouTube and learn how to blow a duck call. Yeah. Um it's all the intricacies of it. Like what is a duck that's in range? What is a duck that's actually finished? Um, how do you behave around another group of hunters? And Hey, they're up here, by the way, you're not going to set up within a few hundred yards, like several hundred yards downwind of them. That's off limits. Like you just do not do that. Right. Um, that's the kind of stuff that takes a serious time investment and, and an emotional investment, right? You have to Mm -hmm. sacrifice your own hunts, your own opportunities, to do that that limited time that you have for it yep you've only got so much and i want and it's not it's not wrong for somebody to want to focus on themselves during that time um so i don't know what that i don't know what that looks like like as a state agency are we are the we the ones who should be like carry that burden We, we don't have that many people to go out and mentor tens of thousands of new duck hunters right it's always been this hunter's you know all caps or capital H, whatever, have always mentored each other. Like it's been, it's been, it's grown and maintained from within itself, mm-hmm. not somebody coming from the outside, you know, teaching somebody to do a particular 
hunting activity. Like that, that's not the way the hunting culture maintained itself. I don't think. And so who, who plays that role? I, I, I don't know. And, and I think maybe baby steps toward that are, are, are things we're doing like with W rice with a few of these permitted waterfowl hunts on W maze. If we can, if we can get a few people to have those experiences that we hope would be over time would be an opportunity where people would look at that and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not in a race. I'm not in a competition with anybody else today and have at least have that opportunity to have a different frame of mind. Say I've, I can, I can approach this day's duck hunt differently than when I'm going on a Saturday at Ed Gordon or during Christmas break at Biomeda, right? Yeah, I can I can reframe my mind to have a different experience. Mm-hmm. We've got to balance that with the reality that we got a whole bunch of people who want places to go. Yeah. And you can't go in and you hear a lot of talk about this, the big ones, right? Biomeda Black River. That's ah, going to a draw next next year. It's going I don't know. I've heard that at least 10 of the 16 years I've been here that next year it's going to a draw. And I said, well, those recommendations probably would come through me originally. And those recommendations don't exist. (laughs) So I don't know where you heard that, but that's not coming. Um, You got to walk, you kind of got to walk that line of showing people what another way looks like, but then also providing that opportunity to, to maintain folks ability to just participate at all. Um, and we're lot, we're, we're not alone. There's lots of folks moving, moving through this kind of weird time in waterfowl hunting and all types of hunting right now. We know access, um, and time are the biggest things driving hunting participation or the lack thereof, but access with a negative experience, maybe not be access at all. Yeah. Right. So, so what does that get us in the end? So it we do need to take a leadership role but i really do believe i mean it's it's hunters themselves who have to embrace the need for mentorship who have to have to kind of show the way for other folks show the way yeah you're not putting the genie back in the bottle of if it's not on instagram it didn't exist and you know how many people are shooting 60 yard ducks so they can make sure they can have something for a picture later yeah. right yeah yeah and if they wait and try to finish ducks, man, I may go, I mean, I may have one hen spoonie in the picture, man. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, yeah. But if I shoot a bunch and can pile up a bunch of bodies, picture looks really good. And that's a, I mean, that's a psychological thing going on that's way yeah, you're past talking my about, mentality. You're talking about the hearts and minds, the ability <laughs> of a, a state-run organization to control the hearts and minds of people and what they find fulfilling and how they culturally identify and uh, tribalism versus, you know, oozers, out-of-staters, yeah. outsiders, all this other stuff. Yeah, I know. I think, dude, that's, that's probably a good place to kind of like have some final thoughts because uh, – yeah, I and look, I think there's a lot of uh, well-intentioned folks out there in the hunting community right now. There's a lot of kind of more publicly uh, centered, uh, like R three initiatives. You've got organizations. There's kind of been like the last few years. There's been all these kind of hunter advocate organizations popping up, as well as older, more established advocacy organizations. Kind of you know trying to bring new people in the fold, like urban folks, you know, or DEI and all this other stuff. But yeah, I mean, 
honestly, I think if you want to get people that are going to be hunters and be hunters for their whole life and have it be something that's important for the people that are important to them to have some sort of association with, you've got to let people have to have the opportunity to experience some of the magic and some of the romance and you know, the, the stuff that keeps you coming back. Like no one, no one is, is hunting ducks because it's a cost effective uh, or effort effective way to feed your family. Right? Like I, I get a lot more opportunity than most people to feed ducks and geese to my family. Uh, And it's still not (laughs) cost effective for me to do it. It doesn't pencil out. No, but I think diversifying where the value is. So value in the places, value in the people, value in the traveling that can come with it, value in the the extension of craft, whether that's learning to blow a call, whether that's making a call, whether that's making a decoy, whatever. Uh, The, like, I think it, you know, the, like for me, a big part of it is the actual, actual culinary potential, uh, in this stuff. Like, uh, you know, and I kind of go to an extreme, like I was talking, I was talking to these dudes the other day about like, man, you got to do it all season long, but you can save these tongues up, man. And then like dredge them in cornmeal or cornstarch and fry them. And they taste just like a chicken wing tip. Right. But it's like a little, it's a lot of effort for a little bit of reward. Right. But if you stack all those layers on it, it's a holy, uh, satisfying enterprises. It's like the definition of something that's holistic. Right. Uh, and, but yeah, people have to like, you got to get, you got to get one good timber hunt a year. One good timber hunt a year will keep me going for the rest of my life. That's a fact. You know, I mean, <laughs> that true, is, yeah. I mean, that's everything. That's beauty and romance and, and excitement and sex appeal. And just like the heavens open. I mean, it's everything, right? One of those a year will, will keep me going and it'll, and, and I'll, I'll put up with, you know, the indiscretions of others out, you know, the, the rolling up of windows when you pull into a parking lot instead mm-hmm. of, Hey, like, you know, none of that. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah. And I don't know what the answers are. And truthfully, I'm glad I don't have to come up with the answers, but, uh, yeah, I think instilling or just us all remembering that we have like this personal responsibility to, to occasionally center the best parts of ourselves and the best parts of hunting as a pursuit or an enterprise, uh, like to, to center that in, in our intentions, at least some of the time so that, uh, you know, we don't just, we don't end up talking about hunting as this thing that used to happen. Uh, absolutely. I think just having, there's value in just having the conversation openly. I think a lot of folks want to, you know, complain within their circle of friends about what's wrong with the world today, whatever the subject matter might be. It sure. might be public land duck hunting, but being willing to just talk about solutions openly. And over time, I think people hear that. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, you know, the, the instant instant ability to share, almost instant ability to share information these days is is can be seen as a as a problem but we can i think it also can be an advantage for us as well right people hear stuff word spreads quickly um i think getting message being willing to talk about issues like this and not back away from them and and not say yeah everything's great license sales are great and that's what matters uh but to talk about 
the future of the pastime here and talk about, hey, are we at a, um, you know, what do, what does hunting need to look like now to persist into the future? And, and what do folks, you know, entering the pastime now need to need to learn without projecting our own, you know, real detailed values or anything on anybody else, but just <laughs> like the general big picture, like, hey, what's, what's sustained hunting for so long? to get us to this point and and you know why are we sharing these stories why are we sharing a picture of of 80 ducks on a log presumably and allegedly in biometer right yeah. I mean, why are we doing that hunters storytelling has been part of the hunting culture since the beginning right but why are we telling that story like is it is it to share like man this was a phenomenal day in the woods and we had hundreds of ducks breaking through the trees and, and landing all around us or is it that we got twenty dudes lined up in a hole and just I mean just yeah, shot the hell out of yeah. every duck that came by so we could get so we could get eighty of them on a log? Like why are we telling that story? What's the what's what are the what's the real story behind the story? Um and I kinda have a critical thought about about why we're doing that and and what's the real real driver of our participation. Um I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it, actually. I mean, a lot of people get pessimistic about these sorts of things, but um, I I try not to be. You know, I think there's I think there's a lot of um, potential for. I, mean, I think the pastime's gonna continue here. I think it's. Um, I think we're probably just in another phase, like a bunch of phases we've seen over the years you know i wasn't here in the late 90s early 2000s but people talked about that being a just absolutely crazy time and it was ridiculous and too many people and, it was and that just, was a big changeover from like the public land uh, guiding yeah. days to you couldn't exactly. do that exactly uh, yeah. so you know maybe we're just in another another cycle i mean look you know what and i do think so and I, i've said this a million times but it's i, I think it actually is part of the inherent nature of waterfowling like you're dealing with something that by its very nature and design is supposed to be ephemeral yep right it cannot be it cannot exist in the same place in the same way all the time right and that is a big part of the attraction of it to me and other folks that are really kind of in love with the riddle of it right they're in love with the waterfowling to me is really a a pursuit of potential right it is and so yeah, I do think it will swing around. Uh, that doesn't necessarily – I don't think it's going to be an easy swing around. I don't think it's going to be an easy comeback. You know, uh, I, I'll go ahead and say, man, like the Mississippi Flyway is different than it was 10 years ago when I started. Uh, I do not think it's getting easier to learn how to or enter into duck hunting in Arkansas. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's over. It means that it's harder – for some reasons right now, you know, and like everyone wants to blame the, the person right above them. Everyone wants to blame the person before them, man, hot cropping and this and that. And the truth is you could talk for 10 hours about what's going on and still not really have a consensus. Right. So again, I think this is a, an instance where you're dealing with something that is so large, excuse me, so large, so multifaceted. Uh, it's probably best to sweep our own side of the street, right? And like really kind of hone in and focus on our our own, you know, like uh, our own microcosms. That's the people we hunt with. That's the people that we take hunting. That's the way that we hunt uh, and the intention that we hunt with. But uh, 
Yeah, man. Hey, I think there's been a good waterfowl conversation, it's, Luke. It's, it's been fun. No, I appreciate you doing it. It's it's uh, yeah that 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 ephemeral nature. That's that's what that's what drove people to this. And what's really fascinating in waterfowl, and we talk about this on the waterfowl science side, is that for such a kind of a um, not fleeting because we've always we've had per, relatively good waterfowl populations for quite a while now, mm-hmm. but. Um, but it's really interesting that we are on like a, for an ephemeral resource, it's been pretty dang stable for about 25 years, yeah. right? Seasons have been stable. Opportunity, if you equate that to days available mm-hmm. to hunt, right? And there's layers to that that we're not going to peel back right now. But like as far as we're in an era now of the longest period of the most most days available to hunt, highest bag limits we are in that era right now and have been for we're in the longest era of that since in modern times let's say yeah 20 you know 60 day seasons here you know for 25 years i think that's playing a role i think a lot most people hunting these most by meaning just a simple majority let's say don't have any idea what a 30-day duck season and a three-miler bag yeah. is going to do, right? We have Nobody's experienced it. Most people out there hunting today have not experienced that. I got hooked on it when I could go out and I could, if I shot one hen, hen mallard by accident, I unload my gun for the day. Yeah, That's when I got hooked on waterfowl hunting. Two greenheads, if I picked my shots well and, and, and picked drakes with, you know, a few weekends to hunt in the central flyway. I don't remember what it was, 39 days maybe. Um, we're in a different era right now. And you just wonder if the reset button is a potential change in in the very structure where people people become um, through no fault of their own have never had the opportunity to experience what scarcity really looks like. We talk about scarcity now, man. There's not as many ducks come, and they're harder to hunt. Harder to hunt part is definitely true. Um, most people here haven't actually experienced scarcity yeah. in the waterfowl resource. Like when we think about it over a hundred year time horizon, we're, we're in a time of plenty for waterfowling right now. And thousands of people have been recruited during that time of plenty. And you just kind of wonder what's coming next. If we ever get to this point where populations do take a major nosedive and regulations respond to that, What's that mean to these folks? Do they still are they still engaged? Are they still as active? No, they're down to they're fair weather. You know, you think they're gone, you, right? You know that's the answer. They're fair <laughs> yeah, weather, probably. So. And here's what I've been hollering for the last five years, and I probably don't have a, a right to holler. Shorter seasons, fewer birds, people that that still will find it to be a, a an activity they want to pursue will stay in it and. Uh, a lot of the chaff will float away. Uh, Believe you're correct. <laughs> and I, I and and I've also said this. I think that that's not going to happen until uh, until it gets rough. You know what I mean? It's 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 just the way human beings work. They're not going to be proactive on it. I think Game and Fish is actually doing a pretty good job of trying to be proactive about stuff, but. You know, I mean, without opening up a thing, thing, but like the GTR, the whole GTR thing, man, and the water on the trees. You know what I mean? Like that's been a problem as biologically and scientifically, we've known that's been a problem. And 
you try and make any change to some like the only way to accept it is to get it ramrodded through because folks will come out of the woodwork and just fight you tooth and nail on something until it's gone and then they want to be mad at you that that it's gone <laughs> it, it just yeah. and that's not game and fish and oh, Arkansas. that's no, just I people know. That's, right that's people but yep. anyway yep. so uh yeah so uh hopefully everybody has a a good waterfowl season uh i'm still optimistic it's very very dry right now but uh man i'll tell you what dude if you know where there's water there's water or you can put some water on some stuff it's probably going to be a pretty good opening weekend for you. So, uh, yeah, I hope everybody has at least one good timber hunt this year. And, uh, Luke, thanks so much, man. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening all the way through to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's uh, produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. Keep up with what I'm doing, new stuff. Uh, food I'm cooking, articles I'm writing, all of that kind of stuff. Over on Instagram, the handle is Black Duck Revival. You can go to the website, that's blackduckrevival.com. Uh, the podcast is on all major platforms. And if you enjoy this podcast, please help us out. Tell a friend, tell an acquaintance, tell an enemy. Uh, let folks know what you like about the podcast and uh, maybe give them a little gentle nudge in the direction the next time they've got a long drive to give the podcast a listen. Any help in that regard is greatly appreciated. Thank you for the five-star ratings on Apple and thank you for the uh, taking the time, those of you who have taken the time to uh, just write a short review. Uh, that helps uh, tremendously. So, uh, Again, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then.